Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Well, if you would turn in your scriptures to John chapter 5, John chapter 5. We're continuing in your study of the Gospel of John. We'll be reading verses 1 through 15. Now hear God's word to us this morning. Starting in verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you pick up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. This text really surprised me uh, as I looked at it. it was, like I said, it was Thursday. Pastor John uh, or Pastor David reached out to me and he told me what text that would be mine. And I, I'd heard of the text. I, I knew the text. This was going to be okay. I, I could do this. Um, and as I read the text, and maybe you've read this text before or heard it preach, as I read it, I kind of had an issue with this guy, right? Uh, Verse 6, Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? And the guy's response isn't what I was expecting and isn't what, what is right. Uh, he, he doesn't recognize Jesus. He doesn't say yes, and instead he complains. But as I, I, I had that initial feeling of just really not liking this guy and, and uh, thinking that, um, you know, here's what this text is about. Let's deal with this guy. I was surprised. I was surprised what I really ended up realizing this text is about. And is that really that odd for us to be surprised when we come to God's word? Is that odd for anybody? I mean, the Pharisees, they were really surprised that the king would come from Bethlehem riding on a mule. Uh, Israel was surprised that the king wasn't coming in to overrun the Romans. But he came lowly. And and. Sometimes, if we're honest, aren't we surprised what God has done in our lives? Where he and his sovereignty and his perfect will has taken us and done for us or maybe not done for us. So 
Let's look at this text and see if there's something in here that may surprise you as well. The outline is very simple. Where Jesus goes. Who does Jesus engage? And finally, what does Jesus do? And then my, my hope is to take all these points and then just summarize them, put it in, into one pile and say, this is the point. So let's see. Uh, point number one, where does Jesus go? Uh, verse one, it says, it starts off with John. He says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. This is a, a feast. This is three times a year in the Jewish history or in their culture. They were called to go to Jerusalem to worship God. This wasn't, hey, if you have time, if you have vacation, uh, if you would like to, if it works for you, it'll be a lot of fun. Please come. No, this was you were commanded to go. And people would go, but it was a festival. It was fun. Uh, half the psalms were written, a good portion of psalms were written to be sung as families walked together, whether it was 50 miles or 100 miles, up to Jerusalem, singing these songs. And when they got there, the, the smell of the food, the smell of the sacrifices, the singing, the worship, kids seeing their aunts and uncles, it was a fantastic time. It would remind you if you've ever been to like a conference. Uh, Maybe it's a conference you've been planning for for your career or it's something fun that you go to. Recently, a couple weeks ago, I went to a pastor's conference in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And it was a blast. You come in and you know you're going to be eating great food. You're going to be going out with your buddies. You're going to be having drinks. You get to stay at a hotel. The conference rolls out the red carpet. There's good music. And, and you're just you're having a good time. And that's what it was like here. Uh, Historians say that Jerusalem would swell by hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, one historian even says it, it would get up to like two million people. Just you can hear and feel the excitement there. Well, San Diego has something like this that might give you an illustration. Comic-Con, right? Comic-Con, and people fly from all parts of America. People even come internationally. And they come in, and they're looking forward to this fantastic event. Well, imagine somebody flies in. They fly in and they, they get an Uber or they have a friend pick them up and they say, take me to Commercial Street. Take me to 17th Avenue. This is the area across the bridge where Father Joe's is. This is a place where all the homeless have encamped and you can just see tents and, and that's for the good ones. There, there's some down there that don't even have tents that are sleeping on the sidewalk. Uh, one of my boys uh, was questioning, um, uh, recognizing how much he suffers, and I was questioning whether he understood that correctly. And so at about 8 o'clock at night, I told him to get the car. And we went down to Commercial Street in 17th Avenue, and we saw the people sleeping on the streets. We saw the people standing there just cold with nothing. Well, this place, this place that really is a uh, conglomerate of suffering is exactly where Jesus goes. He comes to the feast, and where does he go? He goes directly to this place. Verse 2 uh, explains that this is a, there was a pool there, and it was called Besada. Besada stands for outpouring of hope. And verse 3 explains that there is a number of disabled people there. 
And John actually gives us a list, doesn't he? He looks and he says that there was the blind there. There was the lame. There were the paralyzed there. Now the question, why do you have this, this grouping of all these people? Why are they going here? Well, if you look in your text, if you have the NIV that you guys are reading, there's no verse 4. It jumps from verse 3 to verse 5. Now, in your footnote, it might explain what was recorded in a lot of texts years ago. They realized this was not in the original text, and that's why it's been removed. But it'll say something like this. Um, From time to time, an angel of the Lord will come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. Now, historians recognize that this wasn't in the original text, but they also recognize that this is probably true. Even in verse 7 that we have, when Jesus asked man and he says, uh, you, you know, do you want to be healed? He says, of course, but every time I go to get in the water, when I see the water stirred, I can't get there in time. So this man, all these people are here because here is a place to be cured. Basically, this is the place where the destitute go. Now, here's the big picture. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. You guys have studied John chapter 1, where it says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through Him. Well, that's Jesus. Jesus is the Word. You have Jesus, second person of the Trinity, most holy, most high, equal in power and glory with the Father and the Spirit, and He's here. And where does he go? To the most concentrated place of suffering in the entire city. My, my o- oldest son has uh, special needs. Ethan, how are you, buddy? <laughs> and every year there's an annual conference for children with Ethan. It's a very ro- rare chromosome deletion. And it, it meets at different cities around the nation. And we go, and when you go to these conferences, there's sometimes 100 families, 120 families. And it's got to be really unique for those who are working at these conventions and in these hotels because when you get a number of people with disabilities there and everything that comes with it, with the uh, unique uh, way that they conduct themselves and they carry themselves and they look, it's quite a sight. It's quite a picture. It's a lot. And in this text, that's where Jesus goes. And notice that it's not just Jesus showing that he's not afraid to go there, but he's intentional in going there in this situation. So that's where Jesus goes, to the most concentrated place of suffering. But who does he engage once he gets there? If you look at the passage, it's argued, you could argue that Jesus engages with the most destitute sufferer of them all. I mean, that's a high prize of this group with numerous people with disabilities. He engages with arguably the most destitute sufferer of them all. This guy's circumstances are so bad, he couldn't help but to feel helpless. He must have felt helpless. Verse 6 is very interesting. It says that when Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in that condition a long time. Just take a side note. Jesus went there. He saw and he learned. He observed. 
this is not just a quick Jesus. He always travels with his disciples, right? John, who's writing this, was, was right there by his side. He had 12 disciples. He wasn't just, let's go get in. Let's take a picture. It wasn't like a senator going to the wall or going to uh, a crisis. Take a couple pictures and then fly out. This was Jesus going there. And when people were at their worst, when they were in the worst period of their life, Jesus is present there with them. Jesus is in their midst. Just, this is a little side note. Just take this. These people had no idea who Jesus was. They thought they were alone. They thought things were difficult. And in their presence, the reality was Jesus was there. Well, Jesus sees this guy, and he knows he's been there a long time. Jesus is Jesus. He knows things. He knew that Nathaniel was sitting under a tree. Jesus knew something, but he maybe even asked. But honestly, you can tell when somebody has been in a situation like this. Um, by trade, I'm a, I have a catering business, and for about a year, I was uh, a street vending up in Balboa Park. And up there, after a year, you get to see kind of the same people come over and over again, the homeless. And you get to know them. There's a lot of them, but really there's, there's the regulars. And up there, out of the kindness of many people's hearts, they would see this homeless person, and they would offer to buy them a hot dog. That's what I sell, hot dog sausages. And they would come up, and they'd say, hey, I'll pay for this gentleman's dog. So I'd make this man a dog, and I'd go to reach out my hand to do the exchange, and they'd reach out theirs. And some of these hands are just broken and callous and some even bleeding and just a, a hand from eating unhealthily and living unhealthy is swollen and you can just tell they've been there a long time. And you can even tell some others that they've met, maybe been on the streets just a couple weeks and because they're, they're moving fast, they're moving around. But those who have been out, who have been in this condition for a long time, they move slow. Their body is weathered, and honestly, you can see in their eyes, their soul is weathered. This man has been there a long time. John fills in the gap in verse 5, and he says, 38 years this guy has been suffering like this. 38 years. Can you imagine? We look, look in Scripture, and you, you know some of the stories about Jesus doing other miraculous healings, and the woman with the flow of blood for 12 years that would have to walk around and say, unclean, unclean, unclean. And Jesus heals her. Can you imagine her suffering? That was 12 years. Remember the suffering of, of Mary and Martha when Lazarus died? That, that was four days they cried out. It was so real. And then Joseph being slowed, uh, sold into slavery, that was 12 years this is 38 years of this continual, unrelenting, continual debilitation that only gets worse. I can think of no other person in the Bible that is recorded for us that has endured such a long suffering. But it's not just how long it is. It's actually the condition that John also wants us to see. Remember he listed out, you had the blind blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Uh, my my father-in-law was in his 80s, and they recently moved into a small living community. Before that, he lived in his normal house that they had for the last 20 years. And even though he was legally blind, I remember going there one day, and he's up on his ladder cleaning out the gutters. 
He could get around. And then lame, what does that mean? It could be like an arm, a leg, debilitating, sad, hard, difficult. But then there's a whole other category. There's the paralyzed that this man was. And if you know the scriptures, something else will come to mind. The other paralyzed person that is recorded in Mark 4, this, guy, this guy's condition is much like the same. And he, the guy in Mark 4 had to be carried by four friends. He couldn't, but this guy was so bad that he couldn't, he couldn't get to the pool. To This healing matters. He is in the worst condition of the worst category. He's been there for a long time. But here's the, 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 the worst part of it. When Jesus asks him and says, do you want to be healed? He says, there is no one to help me. The man was utterly alone. Utterly, you and I, if you're human, have felt loneliness. And it can give us only a sliver of the loneliness that this man must have felt. And sure, it, it might have been his fault. It might have been his fault. Why didn't he have four friends? Why didn't he have a mother and a father and people to help him out? Maybe he did something wrong. Maybe he was a bad guy. And maybe. But as a pastor, I deal and have to counsel with people that deal with um, chronic illness. And one of the challenges that they confide in me is, is people don't want to hear it anymore. Nothing changes. When they, when they follow up with my prayer request, nothing changes. It's the same story. And, and, and so people stop calling. People stop inviting. People stop calling around. Because it's the same. I'm, it, 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 nothing's changed. Could you imagine 38 years, this guy saying, come to the waters, help me. When it's stirred, you can just throw me. You can help me in. You can help me. After 38 years, nobody came anymore. So he is alone, he's absolutely stuck in this physical condition, and this is the way it's been for a long time. And yet this is exactly the person that Jesus engages. So Jesus goes to this place, Jesus engages this man. What, what, what does he do? Before we answer that, we've we got to fill in a couple gaps, a couple things. First, Recognize this man does not know who Jesus is. We, we see that when the Pharisees ask him, who healed you? Or who told you to pick up your mat? He says, I don't know. I, he, he says, I don't know. Uh, verse 13, he explains why. Because as soon as he healed the man, he said, Jesus, uh, it's recorded that Jesus uh, skipped out of there, left. So that the crowd wouldn't, he didn't give them an explanation. He didn't say, okay, now you're healed. Here, here's how I want you to live. Here's how I want you to treat your parents. You need to go start asking for forgiveness. You need to get a job. He was gone. He healed him and he was gone. See, we have to recognize, we can't read into the text what we know right now. You know Jesus. You know that Jesus was amongst him. Why didn't this guy see it? He didn't know. There was no pictures back then. This is early in Jesus' ministry. Yeah, a few people have heard, but they didn't have Instagram. They didn't have the evening news about some guy healing. They couldn't tell what Jesus looked like from any other guy. This guy comes in and he heals him. So when this guy walked up to Jesus, or this, uh, Jesus walked up to this guy, this guy had no idea who he was. Which also leads into this reality. 
This man exercised absolutely no faith, zero faith in this situation. Zero faith. And that's what we think this text is about. When we first read this text, we think this text, okay, this man, here's Jesus. He has his hope in this water. Here's Jesus. The guy says, do you want to be healed? And he's, he's not getting it. He has no faith. This man exercises no faith, and yet what happens? He's healed. Answer that. This man is faithless. This man, let, let's not be so hard on him either. Imagine this. This man, in, in essence, is dying. He's, in, he's dying, and he's in line. He's in line. This line is a line for people who are going to get the cure. And, and, and yet, some a stranger, complete stranger, walks up to him and says, do you want to be healed? And the guy says, there's 100,000 people in front of me, and there's limited supply. He, we, are, we can be so hard on this, this guy. He's not faithless. He's cynical. Understandably cynical. We would be too in this situation. He knows where he can be healed, but he has absolutely no hope of getting there, even though he's been trying forever. Saints, this is the situation. Circumstantially, this guy is stuck. He's absolutely stuck. Emotionally, he is spent. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying. He, he even says, he sees the water stirring. And can you imagine if it's a, it's a race, really, isn't it? Whoever gets in the water first is healed. It's a race. He can't even rest when he's by the pool. He's got to keep an eye on the water, waiting for that stirring. And he's got to be really paying attention because he's got to start crawling. He's been trying, but he's emotionally spent. It's not working. And, and, and even worse, he's spiritually blind. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, has all the healing in his words and in his touch is right there. There is a man. Picture this man. There is a real man, because this happened in real time. Sometimes we read these things and think it's a story. In real time, Jesus came to a real city, went to the worst place, and there was a man that is absolutely destitute. There's a man in San Diego right now that is in this position, and he's on the cuspus of life and death. And Jesus goes, boom, get up. Get up. And verse 9, it says, at once the man rose. At once. He didn't think about it. He didn't say, oh, this guy sounds like he's spiritual. I'm, maybe I should count the cost. No, at once. The muscles. Can you imagine 38 years of not using his muscles and his bones? And yet, at once, he rises, picks up his mat, and goes. Who does that, saints? That's the point. Who does this? No one. You and I know good people, we know wise people, we know powerful people, but they can't do this. Only Jesus, the Son of God, can do this. See, saints, this passage is not about this man, it's not about the lack of faith of this man, it's not about the man's response. This passage is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Learn about Jesus. John chapter 1. All things were through him. This is Jesus who, in, in chapter 2 of John, John the Baptist sees him and says, Behold, which means get your eyes on this guy, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And John even records for us in chapter 20, 
why he recorded this miracle. Chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples. But these are written, this miracle was written, that you and I may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And in, by believing in him, may have eternal life. That's what this message is about. Us seeing and hearing and believing. So to take this all together and to summarize it and point it out, what the point is, this passage and these miracles do two things. They validate who Jesus is and they teach us what Jesus, your Savior, is like. They validate and they teach. See, all throughout the scriptures, Jesus is working tons of miracles and miracles were never associated with the people's faith or having a miracle done with them never equaled that they were truly saved. They, think about it. Uh, you have the examples of Jesus feeding the 5,000. They didn't all come to faith. Jesus ended up leaving them because they wanted to make him king so that he would be their, their cook. You have the ten lepers that he heals, and only one comes back. You have Judas, who, who observed all the miracles firsthand, and he abandoned Jesus. No, Jesus does these miracles not so that you, they bring us to faith. These miracles validate what Jesus says. That's what he even says to the Pharisees later on in chapter 5 that you'll hear next, year, next week probably, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, if you don't believe me, believe the works that I'm doing. Because nobody except him who is sent from the Father can do these works. The miracles validate the power and the authority and the position of Jesus. They validate what Jesus is saying, such as John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. They validate what Jesus declares in uh, Matthew 28, where he says, I did, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give my life a ransom for many. They validate what the scripture says, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are under his wrath. You, me, and every other person here was born and created to glorify God, to walk in holiness. He is a holy God and deserves that. But we, like Isaiah, are an unholy people. We don't do the things we ought to do, the things we ought not to do. We do on and on again. And so we fall short. We are guilty before this God. And as scripture is clear, it is destined for man, for you and me, to die once and face judgment. And there's nothing we can do about it. But it validates the angel's words to Mary. Name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what this miracle does. The reason for this, you can tell that there's something deeper in here than physical healing. One, he didn't heal everybody at the pool, but most clearly when he comes to this man that he just healed, he gave him everything that this man had wanted. If you and I were in this position and we got that, we would think we got it all. But he comes to this man and he's excited to see him and he sees him in the temple. Verse 14, and Jesus says, you are well again, brother. You are well again. But the story's not over. Go and sin no more unless something worse happens to you. What's worse than 38 years of suffering? Eternal punishment under a holy God. That's what is worse. 
Jesus is pointing that there's something worse than the physical, circumstantial challenges as real and as hard as there is. And we need something more than physical healing. So uh, tying this together and concluding it, there's two messages here because it, it, it validates Jesus, but it also teaches us about Jesus to the unbeliever who is here, to the, the person who still has their hope in the water, that still sees their greatest need as their limbs that don't work, and the unhappiness that they have. If they could have more children or not have the children they have or have a better relationship or have a job, to the person that is, still has their hope in something else, this man was asked if he wanted to be healed, but he didn't know Jesus. You do now. You now know Jesus. You now know what he's really asking. Do you want to be saved? So that's the question for you. Do you want to be saved? The answer, if you do, you don't have to crawl into the water. You just repent. You turn away from your sins. You turn away from every other hope. And you put your hope in Jesus Christ as the deliverer. And he welcomes you in. Because honestly, you are in the same circumstance as that paralytic. Circumstance is that you're stuck in your sin. You're emotionally spent because you keep going after this as filling your life. And you keep going after that. And if we can just get a good government or if we can uh, get COVID out of the way or if we can get physical healing or a big enough bank account. Isn't it tiring though? You're on a rat race. You become emotionally spent. Is there any help? And finally, ultimately, you're, you're, we're spiritually blind. We look to these other things to heal us, to save us. But the only thing that can save us is Jesus. So again, to the unbeliever, do you want to be healed? But to the believer, again, what do miracles do? They teach us about Jesus. Jesus healing Lazarus showed that Jesus has the power over life and death. Jesus turning the water into wine shows that Jesus has the power over all earthly elements. Jesus going to the paralytic, the outcast, and saving him shows that Jesus is present and there to help. And you're not alone in the worst of circumstances. That you have a Savior that said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You have a Savior that sees your hurts. He knows your challenges. He knows your struggles. He hears your prayers. You have a Savior that, even if you feel marginalized, He's marginalized with you. So the question for us is, do we want to be healed? Do we want to quit waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning, being so nervous about our finances or talking all day long about the economy or about COVID or about the government or about culture changing? Do we want to be so wrecked about all these things that we can't control? Do we want to be healed and have the, the peace that is offered in Jesus Christ, the healing that's offered in Jesus Christ that Paul had, that even when he was in prison, he said, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. In prison. And get this, he learned to do this. This doesn't come naturally. It learns by knowing who Jesus is, his character. I learned to be content. And he rejoiced in that. Do you want to have that peace? Jesus wants to heal us too. He wants to heal us from our doubt and our anxiety and our frustration and our searching after idols. 
Do you want to be healed? Yes, we do. Then trust and believe. Trust and believe that even if he doesn't heal you and, and say get up and walk and fill your bank account or give you that job or, or connect you relationally, or even if he doesn't do anything else in this world, he has secured an eternally inheritance. He has secured such blessings for us. You are seated in the heavenly places with him right now that you can have peace no matter where you are. So for all of us, to sum it up, get up. Get up. And Jesus will see, say to us, see you are well. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us, your grace, your mercy that you, you, you show us in, by, by action that you truly are the Son of God, that there's none like you. Show us also by action of what kind of God you are, what kind of saver you are. Heavenly Father, you are the most gracious. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. The uh, pastoral charge or second sermon um, is going to be brief. It's basically this. It's okay to be a paralytic spiritually. We all are. It is okay. Just every day when Jesus reaches out and he asks us this all the time when you're anxious and afraid and alone, he says, do you want to be healed? Just say yes. And then he will cause you to rise. What a savior we have.